0: Let's try this. Christ is risen! Amen! You Lutherans got what was going on there. The rest of us were a little confused. It a long tradition. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And uh, that changes everything, doesn't it? I'm uh, Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here at Lutheran Church. Really good to see all of you here this morning. God's been showing up in some beautiful ways. And uh, you can just feel the resurrected power of God in the room. Amen. Usually on Easter, I mean, the resurrection confirms everything Jesus was about. Proves that he was who he said he was. And and usually we talk about how on Easter, how that confirms that Christ was victorious and defeated death, sin, Satan, and the grave. And that's a beautiful truth. But I want you this morning as we're starting out this new series, this Rediscover series, talk about something a little bit different. It's the way that, that uh, Jesus... Now, the resurrection confirms that Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. The resurrection confirms that Jesus is the one true perfect revelation of God. And this could, you could not get a topic that's more important than this because your picture of God affects everything, absolutely everything. So there's a, a point in Jesus' ministry in John 14 when one of his disciples, Philip, asked him, says, Jesus, you've been talking about the Father, But will you just show us the Father? Just show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. That'll be enough. And then Jesus responded to him in a really interesting way. He says, Philip, have I been so long with you that you don't know me? If you see me, you see the Father. Why then do you ask, show us the Father? It's an incredible statement if you think about it. I mean, imagine if, if uh, Julie here, she gets, you know, confused with my theology once in a while. And so imagine if in the middle of a sermon, she were to stand up and say, Hey, Greg, you're always talking about God, preaching, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just show us God and then we'll be satisfied. That'll be enough. And and what if I were to respond by saying, Julie, you've been here for so long and yet you don't know me. Why, if you see me, you see God. Why then do you have to show us God? <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah, you'd think I was nuts. People who claim to be the embodiment of God are crazy. Or maybe in one case it's true. See, this is the decision you've got to make with Jesus. This middle ground just doesn't work. Like, oh, he's a good guy. No, he's either nuts or he's telling the truth. And see, the resurrection, among other things, confirms that he's in fact telling the truth. When you see Jesus, you are seeing the embodiment of God. The character you find in Jesus is exactly what God is like. So to know what God is like, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Nothing could be more important than that. Uh, Like many of us, probably like most of us to some degree, I grew up with a rather jaded picture of God. Uh, As a kid, I was really hyperactive. I know that's hard to believe now because I'm so calm now, but I was hyperactive. They sent me to Catholic school, and that was a disaster. I was always in trouble with the nuns and the priests. And the one thing I was always good at was getting authorities to be mad at me. I actually got off on that. And so my view of authority was that authorities are always mad at me or they're disappointed in me. And that included my picture of God, the ultimate authority. He's always mad and disappointed at me. Um, and I just thought that for sure I'm going to eventually go to hell. I had nightmares of, of hell all the time when I was a kid because these Catholics back at that school really knew how to paint a picture of hell. And so I, I, I had a, nightmares about that all the time. Now, I, I gave up on that faith when I was around 13. Um, My dad and I both declared ourselves to be atheists. And that went on for about four years. But around the age of 17, through a variety of circumstances, I came to know Christ. I met Christ. I accepted Him into my life. And I had some really powerful encounters with God, some really beautiful encounters with God. But it didn't fundamentally change my picture of God. At some level, I still assume that God is mad at me and disappointed with me. It didn't help that, that the church I was saved in was this holiness pentecostal church that had legalism on steroids i mean it was everything There was a rule for everything they had a thousand rules and uh, breaking any one of those rules put your salvation in jeopardy they, this church taught or at least the way i understood it was that every sin breaks fellowship with god which means you're not saved so you're only as saved as your last sinless moment sin being defined by the rules you know, for a kid who who never was good at doing rules to start with, I mean, I, I've got this thing. I, some of you got this where you, If someone gives me a rule, I have this urge to break it, especially if they just say, "Because I told you so." It's like ah, I must violate it. So this is a bad situation. You know, in the best of circumstances, I, this is this isn't going to go well. But the the hardest rule, the one that I had the most trouble with, in fact, I found it impossible, had to do with sex. I'm 17. I'm a walking hormone. I had trouble with their idea of sex. Now, I could abstain from the actual sex, but I had had, by this time, four years of a steady diet of pornography. I lived alone with my dad, and my dad had a stash, and uh, he didn't care if I looked at it or not, so it was always available. Well, I I come to Christ, but I'm still living in that house, and it's always available. And back then, that was really exceptional. Now, it's a situation that every 17-year-old is in because we got the Internet. But uh, I found myself in a situation where I, it, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I could not abstain from that. And so, since you're only as saved as your last sinless moment, <laughs> I was getting saved and unsaved and resaved and unsaved and resaved <laughs> every day. <laughs> it, it was, it, it was, it was a mess. It was a mess. And it's not like I could talk to anybody about it in this church. You know, uh, th- th- this church—they were—they were obsessed with making sure that women's blouses covered their elbows and 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 their dresses covered their knees. Not quite my issues, you know. I, does anyone seriously lust at elbows? Check out those elbows. Whoa. Elbows! I, I, I didn't understand this place. But I could not talk about it, so I, I was on my own. Well, I did this for almost two years. And then I finally quit. Uh, we had a Sunday night service, which is usually our evangelistic service, and that's usually I would go down and get resaved, saved uh, you know, once again. And, uh, vow that I'll never view pornography again until next Monday night. One time I actually went up to Wednesday. That was my record. That was, so I was saved for three whole days. Except the only one you didn't look at it, you're still thinking about it, so that's sense. So you lose either way, you see. It's just, it's a, so anyways, um, uh, I, I was tired of this yo, I was like a yo-yo on God's finger. It's like, he, Greg saved. He's unsaved. Oh, he saved again. Oh, he's unsaved. Saved, save, unsaved. In, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. I was just getting dizzy, and I thought God was getting dizzy, so I, I quit. And so at the end of this service, I didn't go forward and get resaved. I walked out the door. And I had a friend, he's the only one who knew about this, uh, who had a, a, kind of the same struggle, not as serious as mine. But we started talking in the church parking lot long after everyone had left. Talked for several hours. And at first, I was in a state of despair, because I, I still believe this stuff was true, it's just that I couldn't live it. You couldn't live the life. That's how they would phrase it, and and that meant I'm going to hell. So I felt I was going to hell, and there's not a thing I can do about it. Which is, I think, the darkest thought you can think. If you believe that, it is really depressing, it's terrifying. But at some point in our conversation out in this parking lot, that depression and despair turned to rage. I found myself getting angry and matter and matter and matter. I just was, and. Uh, At one point I just, I uncorked. I just exploded. I I think it was all of my frustration with authorities throughout all my life that I pent up. It just came bursting forth and I started screaming at the sky and it was ugly and it was vile and it was blasphemous. It was, I mean I was, I was beside myself. I was like, God, you say you're a God of love, but that's a bleepity bleep lie. You're a bleepity twisted tyrant. And you say you're God of love, but you took my mom when I'm two years old. What kind of God of love does that? And you you gave me the stepmother that was abusive. That was really loving. Thank you very much. You sent me to a school where the nuns beat the crap out of me. That was really loving. Thank you very much. And you set me up. I've been set up from the beginning. You're the one who gave me this personality that can't conform to rules. And you're the one who gave me these hormones that I can't control. You set me up for damnation from the start. I hope you're happy. Get your jollies off. Well, I bleepity bleep hate you. I figured I had nothing to lose. I'm going to hell anyway, so might as well say it straight. And I did. My friend kind of started taking a couple steps backward, like lightning's going to come down any moment now. And then when I finally calmed down a little bit, he said, and my friend said, we must be missing something. How come other people can live a life, but we can't? We must be missing something. And that just got me mad again. So I took out my King James Bible and so I said, I've read this entire book of rules, because that's how I saw the thing at the time. I've read this entire book of rules, and if we're missing something, where the belief bleep, bleep is it? And I threw the Bible on the on the trunk of his, uh, on the hood of his truck. And it flopped open. And I went over to it, and I was, started reading sarcastically. I was mocking him. I said, I went over, and I said, so there's no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. Is that what you think we're missing? There's no con... <laughs> the thing happened to flop open to Romans 8.1 happened to flop open in Romans A1. Yeah, it was, and I read it again and again. There's no, what is it? No, con, I'd read it before, but I'd never read it before. No condemnation. Then I read further down in Romans 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? It is God who justifies. Who can lay any charge to God's elect? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Hallelujah. And, and as I'm reading this, I can't describe to you what it was like to have, have this, the, this, this, weight of feeling like you're damned and you can't do literally a damn thing about it and then having it lifted from you and having your eyes open to the truth it was you go from this valley to this mountaintop it was it was unbelievable but my eyes were starting to get open see what was happening here and this is so important my friend thought that god was going to be angry at my railing at him and it was ugly and it was vile and it was sinful but see i think god was delighting in that because i was getting honest with god and there's nothing more important with getting honest with God. Wherever you're at, just say it and offer it to him. And, and, and see, when I got real with God, God could finally get real with me. When I got honest with God, God could get honest with me. He, he finally could break through that religious jaded picture of God that I had. That no matter what I do, he's disappointed with me and he's mad at me. He could break through that. And I began to discover the God who's revealed in Jesus Christ. I began to discover the God who's really beautiful. For the first time in my life, I discovered a God who really is love. Not just a picture of God that we're supposed to call loving, even though he's not. Which is what usually happens. Uh, No, this, this is a God who really was love. I began to discover for the first time a God who really loved me. Apart from my behavior. Before I had a behavioral God. Good behavior, I'm in. Bad behavior, I'm out. This is a God who loves me. Apart from any consideration of behavior. It was entirely new. I began to get a picture of God whose love for me is infinitely greater than my sin. I began to get a picture of God for whom mercy triumphs over judgment, as we just sang. And this is a God whose love, his love washes us. It washes away our sin. It washes away all condemnation. It washes away all judgment. It washes away all fear, praise God. Makes all things new, makes all things clean. This is a picture of a God whose love, it has no limits. It has no conditions. It has no qualification. It has no exception clauses. It's got no fine print. There are no if, ands, maybe, buts, fine print stuff in it at all. He is a God of love, and he could not be more beautiful than he actually is. He's the God who's revealed in Jesus Christ, and the resurrection proves it. Amen. It's like the video we just watched. This is a God whose love is, I promise you, it's, it's, it's greater than your darkest night. And it's greater than all the hate in the world and greater than all the wars that have ever been fought. It's greater than your worst fear. It's greater than your most despairing moment. It's greater than your brokenness and it's greater than your greatest loss. It's a God who conquers all things, a love that vanquishes all things. It's a love that overcomes, praise God. He's a God who could not be more beautiful than he actually is. He's a God who's revealed in Jesus Christ. So, folks, if you want to know what God is really like and who doesn't, Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, solely fixed on Jesus. Base your view of God on Jesus Christ. Uh, don't base it on something that a nun said or that a priest said or that a preacher said or that a teacher said or something you read in a book or a song that you heard or your life experience or your conclusions of your own brain. Don't base it on that. No, base it on Jesus Christ and him alone. In fact, don't base your view of God on something you find in the Old Testament if what you find in the Old Testament doesn't agree with what's found in Jesus Christ. Now, that may sound kind of radical to some folks. This is so important because so many people, they think Jesus is part of the story of God, but this other part is kind of ugly. So we got a schizophrenic God. Yeah, he's loving, but he can also slaughter you in a in a, in a in a heartbeat. No, folks, it's all found in Jesus. And this is what the New Testament teaches. Look at this passage from Hebrews, chapter 1. The author says this. Listen to this carefully. God, who gave our forefathers many different glimpses, they had glimpses, glimpses of truth, In the words of the prophet, has now, at the end of the present age, given us the truth. He is the truth, the way, the truth and the life, in the sun. And this sun, folks, is the radiance of God's glory and the flawless expression of God's nature. (laughs) Okay, so they had glimpses. They got glimpses back then. But see, it's kind of like getting glimpses on a cloudy day. The sun kind of just shines through once in a while. If you're getting glimpses of truth, that means you're getting a whole lot of non-truth. They got a lot of mixed up stuff back then, a lot of clouds. But when Jesus comes, the clouds are blown away, and there's nothing but pure sunlight. Praise God. He is the truth, not just a glimpse of the truth, not just part of the truth, half of the truth, a good portion of the truth. No, he is the full truth. He's the whole truth. He's nothing but the truth. So can you handle the truth, all right? This is the truth embodied. This is who he is. Amen. And so he's the radiance of God's glory. Look at that. The radi- What's the difference between radiance and glory? Not much. Ra- radiance is just the shininess of the glory. So he's the he's, he's the shininess of God's shidiness. When God puts himself on display, it looks like Jesus Christ. He is the very face of God, the very heart of God. And that's why the author says he's the flawless, he's the perfect, uh, exact representation of God's very nature. That word there means essence, hupostasis in Greek. So the very essence of God looks like Jesus. God is Christ-like all the way down. The love you see revealed on Calvary, what Jesus gives His life for us, that we, that we might share in His eternal life, that 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 is what God is like down to the very core of His being. That is His heart of hearts. So it means that there is no non-Jesus part of God. There is no mean-streaking God. Do not be suspicious of that. No, no duplicity in God. He's all light in Him. There is no darkness, and that light is the light of God's love, and it, He is that way all the way down to the bottom, praise God. You want to know what God looks like? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, because when Jesus said, If you see me, you see the Father... He was telling the truth. The resurrection proves it. That's what it's all about, folks. What that means for us, concretely, is this. I mean, that is the good news. Um, it means that right now, as you're listening to this, the auditorium or parishioners, whatever you're doing, right now you are loved with a perfect, unwavering, unsurpassable, unimprovable, unconditional love. It's the love that God is. And I don't care whether you're a saint or a sinner You are loved with this perfect unconditional love I don't care if your past is stellar Or if your past is one big train wreck You're loved with an everlasting perfect love I don't care if you're sober or you're drunk You're loved with a perfect everlasting love I don't care if you're straight Or if you're gay or bisexual Or lesbian or transgender or queer Or just plain confused You are loved with an everlasting perfect love Praise God Amen. I don't care. It doesn't matter whether you're a passionate believer or you're a hardened atheist. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or Hindu or Buddhist or none of the above. You are loved with a perfect, unwavering, unsurpassable love. Amen. and the three marriages you burned through and the four abortions you had and the 140 affairs you had that doesn't squander it either because folks it's not about us it's about who he is he is this love he is this love which means which means you can't run from it and you can't hide and you can't squelch it and you can't squander it you can't compromise it you can't dilute it you can't defeat it you can't overcome it praise God there's nothing you can't do a thing about it so just deal with it you're going to be loved you are Hallelujah. It's 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 a it could not be more beautiful than it is. It's and if, if that sounds too good to be true, that's good because it ought to sound too 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 good to be true, because no matter how good you think it is, it's better than that. <laughs> so keep going in that direction. Someday maybe you'll get there. It's it, it's altogether beautiful. It's a God revealed in Jesus Christ. And see what, what some of us have found, what I found was this is that when I finally accepted that love, the only thing God asked of us is just to accept that. And his love does the rest. But when we, cause what God wants is a relationship. Yeah, He'll love you no matter what. But He wants a relationship with you, which means we have to receive it. And when I re- received that, when I finally got that picture of God and fully trusted that God really is that beautiful. Well, see, that set me free in a way that religion and rules and threats never could. It broke the bondage of, of porn in my life. And the reason is because I found that when I, when I discovered the beautiful God, I began to fall in love with that God. How could I not? If you if you know who God is, you fall in love with God. And that that was a totally new motivation for me. Before that, it always been, here are the rules, do them or else. And I didn't want to get the or else, the eternal slapping, so I'll try to do the rules, which n- I, it never worked. Here I had a motivation that was based on love. I, I wanted, for the first time in my life, I wanted to love, live for this God, because He's altogether beautiful. And that love... Changed me and set me free and broke the bondage what what with what, what all the rules of religion and the threat of hell could never touch The love of God got through hallelujah. Yes. Amen. It's what changes us so Here's I want to wrap this up uh, when, when Jesus came down off the cross It says that, that Mary his mother and and some other women they wrapped him in burial clothes This, this is a cloth and they put put him in the tomb and then John 20 tells us that when Jesus was rose raised, raised, raised from the dead and came out of that tomb, he left the burial cloth in the tomb. When John and Peter came and looked at it, they saw the burial cloth for his body and for his, his head. So when Jesus left the tomb, he left the burial cloth behind him, which makes you wonder, what was Jesus wearing when he was walking around as a resurrected, you know, <laughs> he had his resurrection suit on or something, I don't know. <laughs> but that's for a different servant. And so everything. The reason he left it behind is because burial clothes aren't appropriate for a resurrected person. They're appropriate when you're dead, but if you're resurrected, you don't. You leave those behind. Right? They belong in the tomb. Now you were given a cloth when you came in here, and I'd like you to get a hold of that cloth. I want that cloth just to kind of symbolize the burial cloth of Jesus, and therefore it represents everything pertaining to death, and therefore it represents what belongs in a tomb. And I'm going to apply this in just three ways here. And there's going to be a little action we're all going to take here. First of all, you may be here this morning and you're not surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you never surrendered to Jesus or maybe you did one time, but now you're, you're, you've kind of walked away from it. If you're here this morning and you're feeling led, you feel, you, 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 you want to enter into this love, you want to receive this. Um, that burial cloth can represent the life that you're turning from. Because whether you knew it or not, when we live for ourselves, we're, we're living in a death kind of way. He, God is life. And when we're pushing him out of our life, that, that is heading in a death direction. So the cloth can represent the old self. So if you're here this morning and and that's something that you want, I'm going to ask you to come up and, and uh, in a moment. And we're, by these exit signs, there'll be some people up here who will love to explain to you what's involved in surrendering your life to Christ and then pray for you. All right? All um, right. And maybe you're one of these who think, and I've met a number of people like this, you really want Jesus, but you're afraid that accepting him means you're going to have to look like some of the Christians you've known in your life. And you don't like, you don't like the way the, some of the Christians in your life look. And I got that. And I would just encourage you, don't worry about that. Um, I don't like the way a lot of Christians look either. I don't want to look like some of those Christians. No, if you just let God's love in, he'll transform you in a Jesus direction. And, um, that, I found that once you get the love in, the religion of rules just dies by itself. It just goes by the wayside. So just, if you're hungry for the love, invite him in this morning. Uh, then some of us here are, are believers. We trust in Christ. You've got resurrected life in you. That's what the Bible tells us when you surrender to Christ. Uh, so you get, you're, you're, you're resurrected. you got his spirit inside of you, but you're still carrying around some burial cloth, some old stuff, some dead stuff. You're clinging to it, or it's clinging to you. It may be something like like the pornography I was talking about earlier. Or it may be a drug or alcohol addiction. Or it could be an activity that you do once in a while that you know is just wrong and it's not good for you. Or maybe you're addicted to that. Or it could be an attitude that you have. Maybe unforgiveness in your life. Um, Or it could be just a part of your identity that, that you've never fully let go of. Like your insecurity, your fear, your anxiety. Let that burial cloth represent that thing. That dead thing. And it's time to put what belongs in the tomb back in the tomb. Amen. Amen. And so if that's you... We're going to go into another time of worship. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to go back to this, the, the back of the auditorium. And you'll see on both sides, there's the word mercy. And you take that burial cloth and pin it to one of those letters in the word mercy. And in doing that, you are declaring that you're a resurrected child of God. You're declaring that this belongs in the tomb. And you're declaring that you're going to trust mercy to triumph over judgment. And for the mercy of God, the love of God to set you free from this burial cloth that you've been carrying around. Imagine just to get free. His mercy sets us free. The final group, and these two can overlap, uh, is this. You're, you believe in Jesus. Uh, you have resurrected life in you. But you have trouble believing that he actually is as beautiful as he reveals him to be. You're always suspicious of this dark side of God. You still think that maybe he's going to send you to hell for making one mistake. Uh, that he's disappointed or angry at you. Um, and so you still are motivated by fear rather than by love. And whenever our view of God, to the degree that our view of God is jaded, we get a jaded view of ourself. So maybe you're one of these folks who, you still believe that God really can't love you as you are. You still believe that his love for you is conditional. You still believe that maybe you're not worth loving, that you're nothing special. You've got nothing to offer people. If there's something wrong in the universe, it's your fault. Maybe you're one of those kind of people. Uh, you have trouble believing that mercy triumphs over judgment because you're always feeling like you're living under judgment. If that is you, I want that cloth to represent that old dead view of God and that old dead view of yourself. Because the truth is that God is beautiful and he's made you beautiful in Christ Jesus. And so I I want to invite you in a moment to to go to the back of the auditorium and you pin that cloth to one of those letters. And in doing that, you are declaring that with the help of God by the Holy Spirit, you're going to trust that God really is altogether beautiful. That the love that's revealed on Calvary defines God to the core of his being. And you're going to trust that he has made you beautiful and that what he says about you in the word is true, that you are spotless, you are holy, you are his bride, you're seated with him in heavenly places. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And you declare that. We're symbolically declaring these truths by taking that cloth and putting, putting it back in the tomb where it belongs. So now we're going to enter into this time of worship. And when you know what that cloth is to represent, what it symbolizes, you who want to surrender your life to Christ, come up here and pray with the folks that are by the exit signs. And the rest of us go back and pin it to one of the letters in the word mercy and make your declaration. And after you've declared it uh, I, I, by pinning it to the word mercy. If you would like to have prayer, you can go up to these exits and there'll be folks who would love to pray with you. Uh, just to kind of seal this commitment that, that has gone on. Mercy triumphs over judgment and sets us free. We're re- resurrected in Christ Jesus. Let's walk in that. Holy Spirit, now come and Lord, fill, infuse this action with your spirit and with your meaning to engrave it on our hearts and to be glorified as we celebrate who you are and walk in freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you believe that? Let's give God thanks. Yes. Praise God. He could not be more beautiful. He could not be more beautiful. Hallelujah. Uh, if you're here this morning and have any need, uh, whether it may, maybe it's the thing that you pinned to uh, the mercy board, or maybe it's something totally unrelated, but if it's something that... Uh, you could use prayer for, I encourage you to come up here to the exit signs and there'll be a prayer team there and they would love to pray with you and minister to you. Uh, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, among other things, to show us exactly what he's like, to burst apart all of our false conceptions of God that Satan's been afflicting with from time immemorial to show us what he's really like. And so as we leave this place, I pray that we do it with the people who are committed to keeping our eyes fixed on him regularly and receiving that love and letting it overflow to everybody we come in contact with in this world. God bless you guys. Love you. Happy Easter. Go out and love on the world.